I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we celebrate film typically by starting with our week in review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, then move on to a main event, which is a main review or topic of discussion before finishing up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. This episode is going to be a little bit different. We're going to have a short Week in Review from Shanna. And then we're going to have a double review. The first full review is going to be of Gaslight, I think from 1944, if I remember correctly, starring Ingrid Bergman. And then we'll have our spoiler discussion of that and then a a full review of This year's horror thriller, Invisible Man, starring Elizabeth Moss. We thought these two movies might pair up quite nicely. So after we review each film, we'll also have a little bit of a discussion comparing the films, what they have in common, dealing with roughly the same kind of subject matter and uh, kind of conclusions that we can make from these. So... Hopefully, you'll find it to be a little bit of an interesting change of pace. Uh, No film faves in this episode. We're holding it off till the next episode. So, with that, let's dive on in. First, Shanna, you have a TV show that you wanted to talk about and share your experience with us on. What was that? It's Homecoming. Not Homeland. Two different shows. Two. Yeah. yeah. One's on. Yeah. Is, is this a H, uh, This HBO? is a Prime show. Amazon Prime. Okay. Yeah. So I always get Homecoming and Homeland confused. And what we're really talking about is Prime's Homecoming Season 2. Right. Homeland. Just to be very clear. The Showtime series with Claire Danes. This, you saw the first season and reported to us that had Julia Roberts. Mm-hmm. This season has someone else, right? She doesn't come back. Yeah, a couple different people. But I think I saw Julia Roberts' name being tagged as a, a producer or some mm-hmm. sort of credit. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't star in it. No. This Prime show originally was a podcast, I believe. Our friend told us that. And in season two, when you look at the description they provide on Prime, it's rather confusing. And a bunch of phrases strung together. Oh. Um, it came out on May 21st, so it's it's still fairly brand new. Fantastic. Really what this show is, is a mystery that involves a natural, natural drug company having their product being taken advantage of by its employees who are high up and are trying to gain as much profit from the product as possible. It also seems to have this theme of corporate ladder clamoring. So not just climbing, but like clamoring. There's several people trying to get to a particular position to have power over this company. Ah. We focus on two main characters who have interesting careers. One has reached the point she wants to be at, and the other is still trying to get there. 
And they're both supporting each other in the best way that they can. And this is Chanel Monet and Hong Chao, I believe. Uh, Janelle Monet, who is a famous musician and has starred in a few films we've watched. Yes, she has wonderful presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite the spoiler-sensitive show, so I, I won't even say who else is in it. Okay. I did see a new trailer today that did show more people. but For this season? For this particular season. Oh, okay. But I don't want to spoil anything because when it was revealed to me who else was in here, I was super freaking pumped. So okay. I won't carry on. The last thing I'll say is I love some of the female moments of camaraderie and putting men in their place and a woman stepping into their leadership roles. Okay. Could you clarify a few things for me? I can try without being spoilery. Of course. How many episodes is this season? I think it's six or seven. Oh, it's very short. Yeah, it's it's not more than ten for sure. Wow. And, and they're half an hour long. So if you need oh. time to just... It is the kind of show that you need to sit down and watch. You don't want to miss anything. It's beautifully shot. The cinematography is amazing. Mm. You don't want to miss anything. So it's a great 30 minutes, take a break, sit and watch it. So you're saying don't distract yourself, stay Try focused with to. it. Try not to. Try not to multitask. What is, does season two have anything to do with season one? Or are they completely different stories? No, they are attached in a way. Okay. And kind of overlap a little bit. Okay. They're from a different perspective and different characters' point of views. Okay. Very cool. And is there anything else that you want to say about your opinion of the show? I know most of you're helping to describe what it was. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love the story. I love the characters. I think they're really well developed within such a short amount of viewing time. It's really... I feel like this show achieves a lot. Mm, okay. And it's definitely one of my favorites. You know, at the end of season one, I was like, I don't think there's going to be another season. And then here we are. And right now I feel like there's not going to be another season. But you know what? I'd love to see it. I'm sure mm. they can think of something. I would be very happy to see it because whoever is in charge of making the show is taking a lot of care with developing the story, making sure there aren't any loopholes or anything distracting to it, and just it's a really pristine show. Uh, Do you like one season more than another? I think I like season two more. Yeah. Very cool. Season one was cool. I like it. But I think I like this one more. Awesome. Glad to hear it got even better. So that is Homecoming on Amazon Prime starring Janelle Monae. And I think that about does it for the week in review in this episode, does it not? What? You're not <laughs> saying anything? Well, you know, all of the little time I have been at home, it has been really focused on preparing for the next episode, which we'll talk about later. So let's move on. Oh, and also, of course the movies we're about to review <laughs> so let's move on to those movies in our main event starting with a review of 1944's gaslight by george kukor it was written two days before she was murdered where did you find that 
In this score, she must have left it here. It's written by somebody called Sergius Bauer. Give it to me. He said I wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. You're not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. But why? Why? <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And you thought I was being cool to you. <laughs> Keeping no, people away not from cruel. You, making you a prisoner. <laughs> oh, you're the kindest man in the world. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that was from the trailer to Gaslight, a remake of 1940 film. This one starring Joseph Cotton. Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer, most especially, and a young 18-year-old Angela Lansbury as well. I believe this was Angela Lansbury's breakout role, if not her first role. So Gaslight, according to IMDb, tells a story about a woman, a young woman, who moves back into the house where her aunt was murdered. With her new husband. However, he has a secret that will do that he'll do anything to protect, even if it means driving his wife insane. Now, this story was told originally in 1940. It was remade by George Cougar four years later. This is considered the superior version of this story. And you may have actually heard of the term gaslighting someone. Well, this is a story that that term basically comes from. We'll get into the hows and whys a little bit later. But what we like to do typically in our reviews is first focus on the good, what we liked about a movie, and then move on to the bad, what things did not work for us about a movie what sort of flaws did it have what was terrible about a movie and then we go into spoilers and final thoughts so first jenna i'm going to ask you were you familiar with this movie before we watched it i wasn't okay had you heard of it at all before i thought that it was talking about a general thing like oh this movie this movie this movie now we have this term i didn't realize it was coming from one movie. Mm-hmm. And tell us, I guess, get, dive us on in here. What did you like about Gaslight? I like the performances. I like that it was black and white. We've got Angela Lansbury in here as one of the women that do the housekeeping. There's two women that do housekeeping. And I enjoy watching her. I like that we get to see the London Tower. <laughs> okay. You know, it's it's difficult to watch this film because of what it is. But it's a very, what's great about this film is it's a quiet, short story. It's very precise. It doesn't stray away from the male character's goal. Mm. And so it's it's very it's it's a film that's very on point, you know. We're seeing mostly from her perspective, but we're also seeing a lot from his perspective. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. It, what's interesting is we see 
Charles Boyer's character, Gregory, do these behaviors that are manipulative of Ingrid Bergman's character, Paula. And we don't really know why. I thought why. it was Pauline. Uh, it's Paula Alquist, oh, according okay. to IMDb. Uh, you're not terribly far off. But uh, we don't know why until at least halfway through the movie exactly why he's doing what he's doing. Yes, and upon second viewing, if you're really paying attention, you can figure it out sooner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Within the first, I think, 15, 20 minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the performances, uh, by specifically by the leads, Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer? I thought it was great, you know... Charles Boyer has to play a really devious, horrible man. And he did that really well. And Ingrid, you know, she kind of has to have these highs and lows Mm. because of what's being done to her. And she does it pretty well. There's one moment where she just screams in terror. And it's very frightening Mm. how she does it. There's... What I mean by quiet, there's not a lot of music in this film. There's not a lot of soundtrack. And so we're just left with Ingrid's breathing. And not that it's Megan Fox nonsense, but, you know, we're just left with her. And, like, she's the one moving the soundtrack, creating the soundtrack. Mm, Okay. Interesting. Well, I'll say... I think that overall it's a really interesting and good film for what it what it basically does the um, being a movie that essentially helps coin the term gaslighting and the way it slowly illustrates what that is what that looks like I appreciate about the movie that's a really good point because if you're ever confused about what gaslighting is, all you have to do is pay attention while watching this film and you'll slowly start to see all the characteristics that make it up. Yes. Not that we haven't seen such things done in film um, since then, but this is you know the ultimate example, right? And I think it's because there's a variety happening. Mm-hmm. And I like Angela Lansbury in it. It's a delight and interesting to see this 18-year-old version of Angela Lansbury. Uh, this is pre-Manchurian Candidate, pre-Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Is it pre-Jester? A jester? The cor- no, oh, the court, court jester. jester. It is. It's like a decade before oh. that even. I forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. A pre-Murder She Wrote, of course. So it's really interesting to see it's pretty her. pretty everything I know about her. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And she has, uh, you know, I, I would characterize her role as definitely a supporting role that gets maybe 20 minutes of screen time total. I don't remember her having a significant amount of time in the film. No, but everything she does and all the interactions she has in the film, like any other character in this film is very important to the whole story. Mm, I would want you to explain that when we get into spoilers. I think that would be interesting to get into. Want to go there now? Not quite yet. <laughs> not quite yet. Honestly, I think the best part of the whole movie is the last third. 
last half hour or what have you of it. I feel like that's when the film gets genuinely thrilling and edge of your seat and exciting. And, and I was most interested in the third act of this film. Oh, I'll speak to the rest of the film in a moment here, but what did you think of the third act? Do you feel that, that do you agree with me that that's when the movie really came alive or were you with the whole movie the entire time? I did find that upon second viewing, I really had to like regain focus a lot Mm. because it does move slow, but it's all subtle stuff. Mm. And if you're paying attention, you can appreciate it. I like the second half of the second act and then from there. Okay. I feel like things start to happen at that point. Excellent. Was there anything you didn't like about the movie? Anything that you saw that were actual flaws in the film? Obviously, you don't like what this guy Gregory is doing through the movie, right? <laughs> so but that's a, not a name we're never going to name our child. Gregory, <laughs> Gregory and Adrian. <laughs> but that's not necessarily a flaw of the movie, right? But did you see? Did you have no, any issues with the movie? It's an important film, and quite honestly, he never hits her. But that's not to say that what he's doing is okay. He's emotionally abusing her, mentally fatiguing her. It's it's quite awful. I tried to pay attention to see if there were any flaws. And honestly, I couldn't find them. So I feel like this is a really good movie. I would argue that he, what he does is even worse than physical abuse because... He's trying to drive her mad, right? And he does so, I'll just explicitly say, he does so by moving things or making things like go missing, quote unquote, and make her think that she's responsible for those incidents. Well, and even more so, he isolates her from everybody and makes her scared of him so that she won't even leave the house yeah. and makes the staff be on his side right. to keep her there. Because he manipulates the staff into thinking that she is sick. Yeah. And anytime there's some sort of a social gathering, they can't go because she's not feeling well again. Gosh darn it. But he's the one that makes her not feel well. Right. Essentially. Right. Be- through manipulations or just like she won't even know that there is an event to, to attend in the mm-hmm. first place, right? But that's just for clarity's sake. Things that I had issues with with this film is I feel like the pacing is the biggest issue of the movie. It really requires self-discipline uh, and a commitment of the viewer to really stick with it, you know? And especially I find that particularly odd in hindsight because and having seen this second time you might be able to correct me i feel like there's really only three major incidents that illustrate the gaslighting of paula you're shaking your head (laughs) i am there is so much that's happening here so much more than three There might be three obvious ones, Mm -hmm. but there are so many little things that are happening that have ripple effects that are important to note. 
Hmm, okay. Well, maybe we'll get in that into that a little bit also shortly here, but it seemed to me like this movie, which you say it's short, but the movie is just six minutes shy of an out of two hours, and I really feel Did like... Did I say it was short? Yeah. I said it was quiet. No, yeah, you said it was this uh, short little... Well, it's oh. a small story. I feel like it's a compressed story. Mm. So, n- not really anything to do with the length, but... Like, the storyline is there. We're sticking to it. We're not veering off the path in any kind of way. Yeah. Or adding any titbits or whatever. Well, I feel like it was even so stretched a little bit more than it needed to be, given what we're given. I feel like it could have been... 10 maybe 15 minutes shorter you know an hour 40 minutes would have been perfect for for this story i i feel i feel like i i i after a certain point get it and uh, you want the characters to to move on towards ending all of this madness oh (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah i think the pacing it really stretches things out and I feel like it could have been just a little bit more economical in its telling because, again, once we get to the final 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, things really start moving here. And I feel like everything before that has laid the groundwork and and illustrated what gaslighting is and what's happening to this woman. Beyond well enough, if that makes sense. But that's really that's it. That's it for me. Is really the pacing and and just a little bit longer, stretched a little bit longer than it really needed to be. I feel. Do you have anything else to add before we get into spoilers? No, I think everything I have is in spoilers. Okay, so first of all, if you haven't seen the movie Gaslight, you can find it on Amazon. Rent it. It is not on a streaming subscription, as near as I can tell. So. Find it on Amazon and rent it. You might, uh, actually, it might be on Criterion Channel if you're so lucky to have that. It might be on there. At any rate. Oh, it is Criterion? I think maybe. I can double check that if you'd like. But what do you give this movie for those who haven't seen it uh, out of 10? I'd give it a, a 7 out of 10. It's difficult for me to watch just because of the topic, but it's really well made. That's very interesting because it seems like you appreciated a lot of it more than me and yet I give it a 7 out of 10 because of the issues I had with it. Would you like me to add another point? <laughs> well, <laughs> Do what, you want it to be 8? What prevents it from being a great film for you? I think maybe it's I think you brought up a good point, the pacing. Really? It could move just a slight bit quicker. But then again, it has all these elements to it, so maybe not. Gotcha. Uh, I am double checking. Uh, it doesn't look like it's on any th- uh, streaming subscription, ex- uh, except like Roku or whatever. But you get ads with that, so I recommend just renting it on Amazon or uh, Apple if you can. I believe currently it's about four dollars. Yes, it is. If you're at all uh, interested in feminist issues, if you're interested in actually being really informed in, in gaslighting and and movies that tackle these issues of how men treat women and you're able to handle the, the that kind of material too that's a really important 
thing too because not everybody can stomach watching the these kinds of uh, films but i do recommend seeing it as a really good movie just shy of a masterpiece a, a great film for me seven out of ten uh if you've seen the film we're going to go into spoilers and so join us for that otherwise check out the show notes skip ahead to our review of invisible man from this year starring elizabeth moss uh we will join you momentarily after these spoiler thoughts okay shanna so let's get into the meat and potatoes you had a couple things that you brought up that I really wanted you to illuminate a little bit more. Which would you like to start with? Why don't you tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. <laughs> well, now that now you're asking me to remember exactly what Well, you, you were said. doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember saying there were ripple effects. They weren't just three main incidents yes that was the second thing you said well let's start with that and work backwards talk a little bit more about because for me it was okay and from my memory there was the pocket watch there was the picture on the wall right and i think there was like one other you're forgetting about the brooch oh i i mistook the brooch for the pocket watch yeah so the brooch oh was the first one right and, and that's when he first plants the seed of, oh, you're always misplacing things. And she's like, I am? And then there's the pocket uh, the uh, pocket watch and the moving of the picture. Those are the three that I remember most. What's, what's all the other stuff that you, you were speaking about? So you've got the order out of place. Okay. What actually happens first is there's a lot of foundation laid out. You know, he says he loves her. She quits singing and performing because that's actually what she was going to do. Right. Why does she do that? It's not very clear. After the murder of her aunt, she's told to get away from this place. She still owns everything because of the murder. Everything falls to her or the property. But she wants to get away and she's told to get away. The police officer or detective tells her to go to Italy to study under the teacher that her aunt studied under. Mm-hmm. And so that's where her performing happens. They seem to automatically believe that she's going to be great because her aunt was great. Mm-hmm. While she's there, she meets Gregory and Gregory somehow convinces her to quit music. And But we don't know how. It's just suggested. Okay. And then she realizes she might be in love with Gregory, but she really wants to take some time to figure that out for real. She needs to remove herself from the situation and go from there. Mm. And that's really responsible, right? That's a great, great move. She gets on a train. She ends up next to sitting next to a neighbor uh, right, the old lady. Yeah, yeah, who essentially lives a house or two away from the apartment that she grew up with. Right, her aunt's house. Yeah, yes. in her aunt's house. And she's a little shook. She which, being the neighbor or? Pauline. Pauline, okay. Which is perfect for Gregory because 
after Gregory said it's fine that she goes away and clears her head, Gregory is already at the train station of her destination. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're not mad, are you? And she, because she's rattled, she's like, oh, no, I'm so glad you're here. And, you know, they start talking and he wants to know what her dream is. He shares his dream. His dream just so happens to be that he wants to live in the kind of place that is the property she already owns. Okay. So at that point, she's like, no, I can, I can do it for you. And he's like, no, no, don't do it for me. And then she's like, no, I can do it. And he's like, oh, well, okay. So there's already that manipulation of getting her back to this, okay. this horrible place, this mm-hmm. horrible memory. Mm-hmm. When they get there, she reads a letter that is actually very important. That's right, the letter. He gets incredibly upset and she doesn't know what just happened. Yeah. Rightly so. And, you know, they move on and that's when the badge, ha- the, the brooch happens. And Well, not just that, but you're absolutely right about this. But also one thing that you're forgetting is he suggests... Why don't we just store all of yes, your very stuff important. into the attic? Yes, we'll talk more about attics later. Yes, let's just move all of it away. Um, yes, so that way it's all out of sight, out of mind, and you won't be bothered by memories of your aunt and what yes. happened here. Or whatever. And also, you know, when they go out, she wants to show him London. She's very excited to show him right, London. Yeah. And they go to the the Tower of London, and they. Somebody bows his hat, bows to her, is giving her a respectful greeting, and she honestly does not know who the hell this person is. But this starts to get him jealous. That ended up being, didn't it not end up being Brian, uh, played by Joseph Cotton? That's who it is, yeah, yeah, I believe. Yeah. But then something else happens where she has to separate. Oh, she notices that the brooch is missing. Yeah. Right? And she says she's so guilty for lo- she's so sad she feels guilty. He right. says don't worry about it. But Which, that, by the way, let's he 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 <laughs> introduces the brooch as a gift time. It was my grandma's and my mom's, and it's very important to me. And I'm giving it to you. And then for um, him to be like, oh, don't worry about it. After having laid yeah. it on thick, how yeah. important this thing is, yeah. right? So, I mean, he seems reasonably nice at yeah, this yeah. point. Maybe a little bit jealous like any human being. Uh, like normal levels, you know, of, right. of various emotions and uh, insecurities. But it amplifies very quickly. The After the brooch, I believe we move into hiring new help. The one housekeeper stays and then Angela, Angela Lansbury gets interviewed because the previous person had to be fired because uh, that person coddled Pauline. Oh, okay. And so he's trying to isolate her from even the, the, the housekeeping. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. And he hires someone really young. And it's suggested during the course of the movie that he's flirting with her yes, or, or wanting to have some sort of a relation and it's also suggested that she uh, nancy played by angela lansbury is pr- kind of promiscuous too like she yeah. goes out and you know fucks whoever she, she wants. has a good time yeah well there's nothing wrong with that because i remember there was especially a, a cop a, a constable who like they have a conversation nancy and the constable and they're like i'll oh, they meet had you breakfast together I'll meet or you something. up later 
Yeah. You know? yeah. And they have breakfast together and it's it's very funny. Like I don't the problem is is he then creates this situ- there's the situation with the missing painting. And right. not only is it a missing painting, he brings in each housekeeper separately. And with the older housekeeper, the one who's been there the longest, he says kiss this bible as uh, as an act of oath mm-hmm. that you did not take the painting he's forcing her to do something really uncomfortable and during this covid 19 time <laughs> you don't kiss shit like that that's been handled time and time again so you know he makes her do it the maid the housekeeper yeah, yeah. and then he brings in angela lansbury and at this time Pauline feels really judged by Angela Lansbury and really threatened by her with her confidence. You know, Angela Lansbury has all this confidence and kind of is totally on Gregory's side and just judges her excruciatingly in a painful way. So the older housekeeper is definitely a little afraid of Gregory, but then Angela Lansbury kind of soaks Gregory all up and Mm. wants to be on his side and in good favor with him. And he knows that Pauline is threatened by her, so he doesn't even say, like, he doesn't even command Angela Lansbury's character to kiss the Bible. He says... He looks at Pauline and is like, do you need her to kiss the Bible? And Angela Lansbury gives this look of like disgust. And, you know, Pauline is just completely deflated and stressed out. And then she finds the damn painting because she's found it there twice before. So he's obviously gone. Pauline. So he's uh, Gregory has obviously gone and hidden this painting several times. And Pauline's just come across it and been like, well, why the hell is this here? I'll just put it back, you know? You know, then it's followed by the actual, the light, which is controlled by gas. So let's explain this. This is where the name comes from, Gaslight. Because remember, there wasn't any electricity at the time that this movie is set in. Not, not that there wasn't in the 1940s, but this this movie is set in, it seems like Victorian England. Pre-turn of the century. So there wasn't electricity. Everything was lit by gas. And she hears footsteps. Uh, Is it every night or some nights? Every time Gregory leaves the house, the gas, the light changes. Uh, After after she hears footsteps. Yeah. She hears footsteps above her, right? In uh, In the attic. I thought it was sometimes before and sometimes a little bit in between, actually. But, you know, but whatever. I, I, well, you saw it twice, so you, you would have a better handle of it. But my memory was she would hear the footsteps first and then the lights would dim. And that's probably why she was like, did you do it? Did you do it? To her housekeepers. And they would flatly deny it. And Right. So here's where it gets interesting is she would say, oh, did somebody touch the light, the gas? And they would look at her and say no. So they are trained by Gregory not to even look at what Pauline is talking about. Yeah, right. To even entertain any anything because that Pauline is saying. They're trained. They're conditioned to disbelieve her questions, her claims, whatever it is, right? Because oh, it's just part of her condition. Yeah. And then, you know, she wants to go to this party 
he says they're going to go out and then somehow she learns about this party and she wants to go to it because the woman who's running who's hosting it took care of her as a little girl and was mm-hmm. very kind to her and she this is when she actually says she's going right and then he's like, right. oh, well, if it was so important to you, I... Why didn't you I, say so? Yes. And she's like, I don't know what's fucking going on right. here anymore. And that starts to... That's in like the second half of the second act. Yes. Second, you know, part of the film. And that's really where things start to go crazy for Pauline because she's like, well, I thought I said this. I thought I said that. Then at when she's enjoying herself and really refueling her energy... That's when he starts the watch shit, right. you know. Yeah, that's an interesting moment because if you watch him carefully, it's really weird because he—it's almost like he notices she's having a good time. It was like, oh, I must ruin this somehow, <laughs> and he like, yeah, I have to ha- make her have a mental breakdown now, right? And then he does some sleight of hand somehow with the watch, uh, where he's like, my watch is missing, and she's like, no. No, and she starts flipping out, and it's not in her purse. Or no, he finds it in her purse, sorry. And then she really causes a scene and breaks down because at, at this point, what it's trying to be illustrated is someone who knows she didn't do something, knows that she doesn't have something, and then being proven wrong that she does actually have something. And essentially the how would you respond in that situation right it's like what was we watched something else recently where someone was being accused of doing something they didn't do and people weren't listening to to them and uh they basically were going mad because like they weren't being listened to or believed when they didn't it's the same kind of situation right what would you do if every all the evidence pointed to the opposite of what you know to be true that's kind of what's been trying to be illustrated in this right and this is kind of the climax for pauline of that right the last straw so to speak where at this point it kind of breaks her yes because they get home she's completely distraught he's going to add to her distress he's going off at her about your mother i did some research on your mother and she went to an insane asylum and she died with no brain which you know might be in reference to when they did frontal lobotomies etc yeah so now she's just completely spent like she's mentally emotionally exhausted um because he's basically saying this is a hereditary thing and you're you're falling prey to the same disease and he says something about the doctors are coming tomorrow mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. it'll just take two because he's like oh well i've got you where i want you so i get is, rid of you now so let's talk about what this was all about this is all some long con that is all about <laughs> oh my god all about finding jewels S- yeah stolen that, jewels that the ant possessed and what's actually happening is she's not crazy. There actually is footsteps above. And the reason why the gas dims, the light dims, is because he's turning on the light in the attic so he can see. He's searching through all of the ants' possessions looking for these jewels. 
And then he, 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 I don't know, he spends an undetermined amount of time doing this. Then he comes um, back home. Uh, home, I should say. He And he has an elaborate way of getting up there and, and uh, getting out so he's not found out. Unless someone's really, really paying attention and figures it out. Which only one man is doing with the help of the police, too. Yeah, and he's had to basically wrestle them into listening to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What you're forgetting is Gregory had a relationship with the aunt and I believe gave the jewels to the aunt to hide, but then she didn't give them up and that's why he killed her. He killed her. That's, yeah. that's an important thing. And uh, I, I, my understanding at the beginning of the movie was that there was a serial killing happening at this time like there's uh it was like a strangler or something that that was being dubbed in the yeah, press yeah uh, gregory's gregory was obviously being was copycatting whatever was happening oh okay thank you for clarifying that that's a good that's very important because i wasn't sure was he the actual killer running around town and and she was one of the victims. No, because in the end, he reveals that all he could think about was the jewels. So he was definitely copycatting. That's very cool. Is it? Well, I mean... You condone a, this behavior. Uh, yes, I obviously <laughs> condone it. No, I mean, from a writing perspective, that's really kind of cool. Was there anything else that you wanted to speak to in spoilers? Yeah, the third act, where it all climaxes. It's fantastic. All so... Right. You know, she's left there and she's completely distraught. Now, what I forgot to mention was that... What is his name that's trying to crack this case? Uh, I almost said Gregory and that is not not right. right. It is... He's trying to crack someone's head. Brian. Played by Joseph Cotton. So Brian and the neighbor... The neighbor was so excited that she moved in because she was like, Hey, I recognized you from the train. Gregory moved her along very quickly. Moved Pauline along very quickly so she wouldn't form an attachment. Oh, and also when they tried to come over, he denied her seeing them. Mm. So Brian comes over and tells Pauline that he's there to help her, essentially. Asks her a few questions, but Pauline's so conditioned that whenever someone asks her questions, she completely stresses out because it makes her question her own sanity. Mm. And... We know that's being manipulated. So Brian actually notices he has figured out that Gregory is sneaking away to a roof or something or back into the house. There's a there is an empty next door. What do you call building right next door? And he basically goes into that building, goes up to its roof and and enters their roof and into their attic from there. Yeah. So he's the one causing all the noise, obviously. And Brian figures this out. Then he goes to Pauline to check on her because he realizes at the party that things are getting much, much worse. Um, he also gets told by the housekeeper to go away. But then, you know, the housekeeper lets slip that doctors are coming over. So Brian acts more swiftly. Mm-hmm. And they find this letter again after gregory had said you weren't even holding a letter that was another thing yes yes you mentioned that letter before and i i want to come back to it because that's another important element is oh yes yes but the thing is you were never holding a letter 
And she's like, oh my god! And it turns out, yes, there actually was a letter. Of course there is a letter. And he, for whatever silly reason, kept it in his roll-top desk, which is usually it's locked. It's so stupid. I thought it would have been, like, burnt or something. Right. Anyway, we're not all smart, are we? <laughs> so, you know... They find this letter. She realizes that it's the same person because there's a letter to her as well. Mm. And uh, Brian goes away. He leaves. And Gregory comes back and you know, gets it out of her because she's like, I found the letter. It, da, 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 da. Well, he and noticed something's up with his, his desk. desk yeah. yeah. And she lets slip after just being so exhausted, she lets slip that a man had come over. Right. And he's like, what? What man? And he brings in the, the older housekeeper and she says there was no man. And this is her way of figuring out if Gregory is being manipulative or not. That was an interesting moment because for me, like I took it as she's trying to protect her by not spilling the beans about the man. But at the same time, it's a really dangerous gamble that she's uh, she's entering because by denying that there is a man that Ingrid Bergman is so certain of, it's cracking her even more. Right. Yeah. So it's it's very it's teetering, you know. And but she does the right thing because then she believes everybody else. She believes Brian. She the housekeeper believes Brian, believes Pauline, believes that Gregory is a bad guy. So that's good. And they're the lucked out by doesn't Brian show up? Well, Gregory says, "You see what I'm talking about? There was no man." And she's yeah. like, "Oh, I see." And then Brian shows up just in the like nick of time yeah. and says, "Maybe I can help your story." And so she's okay. Like yeah. Pauline is okay then. Right. And then because other, everybody's interacting with this guy, it's not just her yeah. seeing him. And so he tries. The, the both of them end up in the attic after each other, the two men, and then the constable that that Angela Lansbury has a thing with comes to, and like they get Gregory tied to a chair, and there's this sweet, delicious moment where Pauline is in the room with him, eventually alone, and he by says, her request, by his request, he's like, "I'm not going to do anything," and she's like, "Okay." Well, she dismisses the others. Okay. Fine. And he says, can you hand me that knife? I put that knife in the drawer. And he tries manipulating her into freeing him. Yes. But she says, what knife? What knife? This, I'm not even holding a knife in my hand. And she's holding the knife in her hand. Right. Because she sees the freaking brooch. And she's like, mother fucker. Right. You know, when I loved the height of when I loved you, the height of guilt I've ever felt that was genuine to you. You fucking manipulated me. And she says, I just, I want to help you, but I can't help you because you're telling me there's a knife and there's no knife. And so it's this very delicious revenge. I thought she was going to slit his throat or stab him with that too. Just a little poke, poke. You know? What what knife? What poking? There's no poking, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, all of that was brilliant and great. And thanks for explaining uh, all of that. Uh, That was my favorite part of the whole movie was that entire sequence of when 
Brian comes and everything mm-hmm. that follows after that. It, it was really great. Yeah, so stuff. at times this movie feels boring and it's difficult to stick with. And I know I don't usually explain movies this much detail. Right. But I felt like it was needed because what if the pers- person listening is like, well, I don't know if I'm going to have a traumatic response to this movie. I'll just listen to spoilers. I feel like it depends on the person. But like I wanted to share all the details about this movie because... It's what gaslighting is, is all these little things that Gregory does. Fair enough. I also thought it was good for us to kind of get our responses to this, these events as well, too, and what we think. And, and if there's any issues that we had with it that came along with it, uh, illuminate those. But, yeah, so it's good stuff. Do you have anything else you, uh, you want to say about the film? No, I think it's it's a great film. I think if you get bored, just hang in there, take notes to keep yourself focused. <laughs> Go for it. It's really worth watching and grasping a great understanding about gaslighting. All right, so uh, that's Gaslight. What do you think about Gaslight? Well, have you seen it? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. We need to get moving on to the second review as we are in our second half of the episode. And that is our review of this year's Invisible Man. As the attorney representing Adrian's trust, I'm required to read a prepared statement. Cecilia, although our relationship was far from perfect, I thought that you would talk to me rather than run away. Are you okay? What happened to him? He cut his wrist. Per his final wishes, you're getting $5 million. Contingent, of course, on the fine print. He can't be ruled to be mentally incompetent. It just doesn't make any sense. What? Adrian wouldn't kill himself. Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay? Don't let him haunt you. Hello? He was a sociopath, completely in control of everything. He said that wherever I went, he would find me, walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Are you okay? Someone sitting in that chair. I found something that can prove what I'm experiencing. You need help. Adrian is dead. I went to his house today. He's not dead. I have a pile of ashes in a box that would disagree with you. He has figured out a way to be invisible. Only thing more brilliant than inventing something that makes you invisible is coming up with the perfect way to torture you, even in death. Adrian's true genius was how he got in people's heads. Don't come any closer. Hey! I'm not crazy. Please listen to me. You're saying the person trying to kill you is in the room right now. But we can't see him? He's listening. Where are you? Where are you? Show yourself! Come on! Do it! There you are. 
All right, so that's from the trailer to Invisible Man, which came out, what, in February of yeah. this year? It Great was, Valentine movie. <laughs> I feel like it was fortunate enough to be able to have a little bit of a theatrical run before the shit hit the fan, so to speak, this year. And uh, everything went south Yeah, f- at the end of February, so two weeks before things started escalating. Uh, IMDB describes The Invisible Man from this year as the following. When Cecilia's abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune, she suspects his death was a hoax. As a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she is being hunted by someone nobody can see. This is directed by Lee Wannell, who directed Upgrade a couple years ago. It stars Elizabeth Moss, Oliver Jackson Cohen, Harriet Dyer, Aldous Hodge, and Storm Reed. So, Shanna, what did you like about The Invisible Man? What Actually, what were your expectations going into this? Had you seen any other versions of this story before? And, and, and then tell us what did you like about it. Yeah, I had seen the Kevin Bacon Hollow Man. Oh, shit. I mean, that's kind of what that is. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 totally. But otherwise, no. Uh, I mean, briefly, we saw Invisible Man in what is it called? Oh, oh, oh. Abbott and Costello meet oh, Frankenstein. Sorry. Yeah, there's a Abbott little gag. Abbott and Costello, yeah. Yeah, there's a little gag having to do with the Invisible Man I won't spoil, but yes, because the Invisible Man was one of the Universal Monster movies of the 30s and 40s, originally played by Claude Rains. Great film, by the way. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. And that, so that was the first time, aside from Kevin Bacon's Hollow Man, Mm-hmm. Which I could barely even utter because the movie is so bad that you've seen it. It is really stupid, yeah. 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 Lots uh, of fun. What did you like about this This one? So I knew this was going to have a domestic violence aspect to it. You can tell in the trailer that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch it in the theater because I didn't want to go through that. And neither did my friends. <laughs> They were like, no, we're not going to watch that. Mm. We're going to go watch Birds of Prey. Thank you very much. (laughs) So I love Elizabeth Moss. She always performs in the best way possible. I love everybody in this film, really. We've got the main actors and actresses. You've got Elizabeth Moss. We've got Harriet Dyer. We've got Aldous Hodge. And who plays the daughter? Storm Reed from oh, there A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah, and Storm Reed. So I, I love watching all of them on the screen. It's my favorite. It makes me very happy. And what I loved about this film is we're dealing with domestic abuse here. We're dealing with people that don't believe her. So it's kind of this parallel to people not believing the wife when the husband is treating her badly. In this case, obviously, it's like, well, we we can't believe you because he's supposed to be dead. I mean, surely he shouldn't be terrorizing you right now. You're just dealing with PTSD. We're going to brush you aside. So I love the parallel that they set up. I love that we're dealing with this in a fairly realistic way. In the first few minutes of the movie, we see her try to get away from him. Uh, You know, she has an emergency bag packed. She tries to leave. And we see, uh, we don't see him hurting her while he's 
human, shall I say, while he's technically alive. Hmm. And we don't see that. And honestly, most of the men in this movie, we don't see. You know, there's an Uber driver at one point and we don't see his face until the end. And it's not a direct face shot. The shot is him looking in the rearview mirror. Okay. And another time we see this awesome waiter and we don't see his face. We just see a side profile kind of okay. in the shadow. Okay. So I love how we're actually focusing on women and the good guys, mostly in this film. The allies. Yeah, the allies. Uh, except for one or two, but we'll talk about well, those that's later. That's why I'm saying mostly. Yeah, yeah. So I love the story. It's a very succinct story. It's, it's what? It's like a two-hour film, short of two hours. Uh, it's so funny, your idea of a succinct story. It's like you watched Ben-Hur and now everything's succinct. Yes, you just need perspective, people. <laughs> two hours, four minutes. Yeah. So it's actually so, 10 minutes longer than Gaslight. So it's like a two-hour film and honestly, you need every piece of it because everything wraps and ties up nicely together at the end. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking the second time I watched it, I kept thinking, well, why would this happen? And I don't remember. Oh, yes. So uh, I loved watching it a second time. I picked up on stuff a lot better. This film still gives me jump scares the second viewing round. So I think that the cinematography is awesome. The realism of a victim of spousal abuse and any technological fun things is all realistic and I totally believable. Very cool. I will say that this is probably the best movie of the year that i've seen so far not that we've had a plethora of movies it is coming out as the shining star one of the shining stars we haven't had a whole lot of movies to draw from because everything's kind of been screwed over by the pandemic i think at this point we were supposed to originally do our best of the year so far but so many movies got delayed and rescheduled and stuff but of the films we've seen so far this year that uh, were not direct-to-streaming originally intended films. This is definitely the best. Uh, There's issues I have with it, quibbles I have with it, that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But this, this film is exceptional in many different ways. Uh, the first opening scene tells you everything you need to know about this character's situation. It is very well done. The way the camera moves in that scene and throughout the movie is really cool because there are scenes where the movie or the movie, the camera is very deliberate in its movements. It'll stay fixed on one direction and then it'll turn another direction and then turn back. It's very interesting how Lee Wannell is very sparse often in the camera movements. And when there might be an action sequence, that's when he gets a little bit more dynamic with the camera and the cuts and, and things. But a lot of the times, there are, there are a lot of scenes in this movie where the camera moves very purposefully. Uh, otherwise is fixed and following a character, which is very cool. He does a lot of interesting things with the camera, even when he livens things up a little bit uh, later on in the second half of the film. 
Elizabeth Moss is just one of the more interesting actresses working today. She doesn't always hit it, hit, hit it out of the park in terms of what she signs on to. In case I'm point the kitchen, but she's never the worst part of what she's um, participating in. I was right? about to say, I mean, I didn't, the kitchen wasn't very good, but she was definitely a good part of it. Yes. I agree. And it's interesting. I, I watched this movie and I couldn't help but think, man, she was the little uh, young adult, the, the college girl in the West Wing, you know, and look at her now, you know, oh, yeah. right. And, you know, from Mad Men to everything else since most of it's been TV work, but really strong stuff. And we're going to be seeing her in another film pretty soon that we'll review in a couple episodes also that i'm sure she will in no way be the weakest link on, in that project as well and you've sung praises of elizabeth moss as you've talked about the handmaid's tale well you talk about tv shows as if they're like not that great but every tv show she's been in she's been phenomenal and she keeps getting better and better yeah no 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 that's not at all what i'm trying to intimate it i've just only seen her film projects for the most part with uh, a couple exceptions but she choose and she chooses a lot of tv shows mad men handmaid's tale etc so she's not this film her performance in this film is no exception she's great in this movie what she has to do what she has to uh, express what she has to make the audience believe is extraordinarily well done because she is in this she's in this situation where she's being gaslit right she knows that somebody's in the room with her she knows that some things have happened but she can't prove that that was the case because nobody can see this person right and so her uh, me- mental state gets slowly whittled away as the movie progresses. So all of that is really great. The script is really good in, in how it slowly, not slowly, I, I, I don't want to emphasize slowly too much, but it progressively builds this scenario where she's very clear and very certain of about her situation and then she becomes less and less so over time. And it's interesting because it, the script is written by Lee Wannell. He came up with the idea of how to crack this take on the Invisible Man. And it's very impressive that a guy is able to write so well this allegory for an abusive relationship the this the kinds of abusive relationships and the toxic masculinity and and the patriarchal attitudes of chauvinism all these things that we hear women give their personal stories of uh, and we get to actually see so well laid out before us in this film i'm i, I couldn't help but be impressed on top of it all the movie is really thrilling I don't want to give away exactly how the title character is because it feels like that's kind of a reveal. We could talk a little bit more about that, but it's a kind of a cool idea too. It's not like what you've seen and maybe someone has seen Chevy Chase's memoirs of an invisible man. 
It's not the take of Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon or even the original Invisible Man with Claude Rains, where the serum that the person is taking makes them go mad, right? What's interesting about this is, no, this guy was an asshole, a sociopath to begin with. And it's his sociopathy, his his need to control this woman that drives him to do what what takes place in most of the movie. All of that is fantastic. But let's move on to what didn't work for us, what flaws, what was crap about the movie before we get into all the the meat and potatoes in spoilers. Shanna, what didn't work for you in The Invisible Man? You've seen it twice, so surely more cracks have appeared to you. I kept thinking that. Like, what I specifically was looking for things that I wouldn't like. And there really wasn't anything that really stood out to me. Maybe there's something in the spoiler that I thought about uh, that I can talk about there. But mm-hmm. mostly, there's, there's nothing wrong with this film. I really do wish the volume was just a little lower, though, because like it it has like the second second viewing, I'm still jump scaring all the time, and then after I realized, oh, I'm still getting scared, I just muted it. <laughs> well, like, I would say the sound design in this film is very effective. Oh, it's very good. Mm-hmm. Yes, but a couple flaws I had in it. There's a couple. In, mostly because the movie does so well with its material and has some genuine surprises along the way. Most of my issues with the movie are quibbles, little nitpicks. But I will say the one thing that I will say about this movie that bothers me is to an extent this is one of those movies where characters don't explicitly explain what's going on when they really need to explicitly explain what's going on otherwise if you broad stroke what happened people are going to think "Uh uh-huh so something went missing and you found it and you're assuming that means this guy's alive i saw his body Whereas, you know, and there's two cases in, in particular, I won't go into detail, but there is a, a situation where there is a knight with a blanket, a blanket moves, and there's a whole series of events that take place in one evening where if you were trying to explain to somebody why you're freaked out, you would explain, first this happened, and then I did this, and this happened, and then... I pulled this thing, and there was very clearly, even though there was nothing else around, something was stepping on this thing. You know, you go into detail, right? There's another situation with a bottle of medication uh, in a shower scene. And, and that's not relayed explicitly what happened. Where it's like you'd say, this, I lost this when I was running away from him before he died. All of a sudden, this thing appears on my sink. You're looking at me like I'm the one that's crazy now. I'm looking at you like you're the one gaslighting. (laughs) What? So here's the thing. She didn't know she lost the medication. She said she did. When? When she's relaying what happened, 
she explicitly says she left it. She dropped it. Uh, well, I apologize about that. I think it's just a result of PTSD of being abused that you don't, you're not able to recall all the details and give all the details factually. Mm, I think the movie requ- chronologically. I, I just think the movie requires a certain degree of vagueness in order to sell in order for people to not believe her Look, and the movie people, needs not her. people aren't believing her in the first place they're like the sister comes and picks her up while she's escaping into the night and she's like well what's going on what's going on <laughs> oh he's banging on the window oh but, but what's going on i want to know now just to clarify for people who haven't seen the movie this is in the first 10 minutes and yes it is that was my first irritant it's like if someone runs into runs up to your car, you don't be like, "Hey, I wonder what that guy who ran up to my car in the middle of the night when my out of the forest out of the forest when my sister needed me to suddenly pick her up. What what is he want? Let's let's find out. Let's roll down the window. Why don't we just find out? Who knows? Maybe he needs something. And it's only mm. when he smashes the window. He smashes the window that she's like, "Oh, I should go." <laughs> you know, no. You, like, the second a guy runs up to your window like that, you fucking hit the gas. It's just, it just doesn't make right. sense. That part doesn't make fucking sense to me. But, yeah, so that's the, like, her sister doesn't even believe her. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, so. Not at, right, at first, right? You're talking about at first. Because it is made clear later on something else that happens that makes her sister turn against her. But, Yes, at that point, that was another little thing that, that kind of bothered me. There's a couple other things that we can talk about in spoilers, but uh, was there anything else you want to say about this movie for people who haven't seen it yet? I think it's a great movie. I think everybody should watch it. Everybody it's should Elizabeth watch it? Moss, so if you're an Elizabeth Moss fan, it's worth going to go watch. I, th- I don't know if I would say everybody should watch it obviously kids shouldn't watch it but also people who are sensitive to this kind of material oh the dog does not die it's fantastic we'll come back to the dog i give this movie an eight out of ten any issues i have with it are really small little details here and there i think it does so much where the good greatly outweighs the bad in the film it's really impressive and i wish I really wish that, like, if Universal Studios had tried to operate their dark, quote-unquote, dark universe of Universal Monster revival with the mummy like this, then we would have really probably had something special. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case, apparently, with Tom Cruise's The Mummy, and so they went in a more creative and better direction with this movie. I also rate it 8 out of 10. I really love this movie. I love that the jump scares still work for me. I love the cinematography, the set design. I love the characters. I love the way that the characters are shot. It's fantastic. Why not hire if you didn't see any issues with the movie? Because it didn't completely blow me away. Interesting. Well, let's talk about spoilers. Any issues and stuff that you wanted to talk about from here on. If you haven't seen this movie, uh, do so and uh, come back. Join us afterwards and we'll also talk about comparisons between Invisible Man and Gaslight after our spoiler discussion and final thoughts. So spoilers from here on. 
All right, Shanna, get us started. What do you want to talk about in spoilers? The dog doesn't die, and I'm happy. The dog doesn't get poked or hit or shouted at even. The dog is just dandy, and I'm happy chappy. So... So there is a dog that we see in the first scene of the film. And I see this dog and I'm like, oh, well, there's no way in hell this kind of person is going to be caring of of an animal. <laughs> this was this had to have been a dog that Cecilia got in the relationship or something or whatever, right? There's no way that this guy took care of this dog. That dog's going to be a casualty. Very surprisingly enough, no. Not, not no, at all. No problem. Well, because I think at the end of this game, Adrian believed that he could get Cecilia back through horrible, horrible manipulation and abuse. Yes, but the dog's not really addressed in that in that regard. I don't really care. The dog lives. <laughs> so here's why the dog is a flaw for me. You wanted it to die, didn't you? No, 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 no. Okay. Nothing like that. But here's the thing. The owner supposedly dies, right? First of all, she tries, Cecilia tries setting the dog free, which we see this huge compound with these concrete walls. Like, where the fuck is the dog going to go, right? Like, she herself had to climb over this the wall. This is a good point. This right? is a problem I have with the film now, too. Okay. So the dog obviously stayed behind, had was stuck behind anyway, right? The owner dies. What happens to the dog? We learn later the dog's just hanging out. I think the brother was coming well, over to the house. So that was my initial thought was, what? why is it that the dog's still hanging out? Then we learn what we learn, which is... The brother knew what had happened. He knew that his brother, that Adrian, did not die. It was all staged. Right. So the so Adrian's alive. The brother, whose name I don't have, he's um in on it. Uh, is that no? James? No, not James. James is the good guy. James is the knight in shining armor. Michael Dorman. Ah, so Tom. I believe it's Tom. Yeah. So then they were taking care of the dog all this time yeah. at the house, which to me yeah. it's like okay, I still don't buy it. At first I I was okay with it when I came to that realization, but now in further thought. This guy does not have a caring bone in his body. Why are we going to believe that he took care of this dog? I don't like what you're doing here. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah, saying that the dog like wasn't it. taken care of. I'm saying it's hard to believe that he was. And that's why the dog is a flaw from me. Why not just have a line, a throwaway line? Oh, the dog was relocated after the the owner supposedly died. He was given a new forever Because I guess you couldn't put the dog with Elizabeth Moss, uh, with Cecilia at James's house, because the dog would have spotted Adrian. The dog knows when Adrian is there, yeah. whether he's invisible or not. So are you trying to say that the dog was important to that one other scene? You needed to have the dog in that one scene? The dog needed to be there to wake up Adrian... The dog needed to be there to distract Adrian so that Cecilia could get away when she discovered the suit and was hiding it. That's the scene I was talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. he distract. He distract and that's the last time we see the dog. Yeah. So yeah, the dog doesn't die as far as we can uh, tell, but it just doesn't make sense that the dog's even there. As far as we can tell. No, he does not die, period. Gotcha. Let's not be confusing. Like, does the dog die.com? You're saying, 
doesn't make sense that the dog is even in the picture anymore. Here's the other issue I had with the movie. So you just referenced that scene where she goes back to Adrian's house, discovers the secret, which is that there's this invisible suit that's full of cameras, right? Such a cool design. Freaky, but intriguing and pretty at the same time, depending on what it's doing. It is creative. I want to come back to the design on that in a second, Mm. but she takes it. She has a little hidey hole mm-hmm. of sorts. I think it's an air vent, essentially, yeah. in this walk-in closet. She puts it in there, and then like it turns out we think Adrian is there, and they have an altercation. She runs away. Why the hell doesn't she take that suit with her? When Why, why does she decide to hide it? I, if I'm looking for proof that this guy is still alive, this is fucking it. Because he interrupted her. he She knew he was there, and she had to just hide it and just tell people about it. Mm. If she took it with her, he probably could have intercepted and gotten it back from her. Because if you look at it, I think he got in the car with her or... He was following close behind somehow because he got to the restaurant around the same time as Cecilia did. And that's what made it possible for him to kill the sister. Remind me, you're saying that meeting up with the sister followed after the hours long drive into the city from the Uber driver? Yeah, so she got to the house hours away and then... She phoned her sister when they were leaving the house to meet her. Mm, Okay. I'm not sure how the hell he could have tagged along because they make it very clear like she gets in and she shuts the door and it's like she's she's sitting right next to that door. So he couldn't have gotten in when she opened the door and no other door opened. I'll tell you a problem I have with this film. Okay. We've got this awesome piece of technology and there's no military in sight to come and take it (laughs) and all the research away. Well, so it's a little unrealistic in that sense. I'm not sure that anybody knew about it at the time, but let's talk about the design of the suit, which is creepy, but I'm wondering how the hell can anybody see in that thing? You know, think Tony Stark, Iron Man, how there's like, he's got that screen Uh in front of his eyes. Sure. But there's a little bit of space in between his face and that, so I don't... No, we don't know what it's like from the inside. It looks skin tight. Yeah, we don't know what it's like from the inside. We just don't know. Right. And I kind of like that you don't see anything from Invisible Man's perspective because it's not about you. It doesn't get to be about you in any way. That's fair. You know? Um, but it's just like little logistic things like this that if you, I feel like if you really think too much about it, you can kind of tease out little tiny nitpicks. Oh, like, well, how does that work and stuff? But uh, as I said earlier, nothing really significant that weighs the movie down. Just little things. It's very hard for a movie like this to be to thought of everything and be so perfect that you can't pick any nits. So yeah, I'll I give wanna, it a break. I want to talk about um, some of the spoiler things that I really liked about this film. Okay. I like the consistency of Adrian being the manipulator. We really understand that he is the one controlling everything 
When she finds out that she's pregnant, she realizes that he's breached the biggest thing. He's taken away any control. Mm. He's taken away so much control that he swapped out her contraception, which... He mm-hmm. just took away her right to choose mm. to carry a child or not. I'm touching my and nose. That is exactly right. He's forcing her to have a baby with him. And because he swapped the medication, she does end up pregnant. She probably thought she doesn't have to worry. She's taking the contraception. It's going to be okay. Mm. Well, because he swapped it out and she didn't know, she did get pregnant. And you can tell that when she's told in the secure facility, secure, secure facility, you know, you can tell she's pondering, well, he's never going to leave me alone. I better get an abortion kind of thing. Uh, at least I got that sense. And it's further, my sense of it is further justified by evidence of Tom. Tom comes in and says, right now, you're just a murderer. You can make this all go away if you have the baby with adrian which means he knew on some level that she wasn't going to have the baby and he says he can make it all go away elizabeth moss in the beginning does say that he, uh, adrian wanted to have a kid she took contraception she knew that if she had a kid with him she'd never get away right so i feel like not only is the husband forcing her to get pregnant, but the brother-in-law is forcing her to keep the child. So there's two men here controlling her body, controlling whether or not she can have or can't have a kid. I'm with you on and about 90% of that. I just really, really quickly want to say before you move on, the only thing that we differ on is the reading of the line at the at that table. Oh, I... I took it as him referring to her current situation where she is considered to have killed her sister because she was holding the knife. And the reason I'm saying what I'm saying is because he knows Adrian is around. He knows Adrian did it. So that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. And, you know, Adrian, talking about the consistency of Adrian not giving a flying fuck about anyone and wanting control of things, that's all he cares about, is at the end when he has Elizabeth, when Elizabeth Moss decides, okay, she'll come over and try to sort things out because that's obviously what he's wanted. At the very end. Yeah. uh, He says, "I, I couldn't decide, so I ordered us sushi and steak. Pregnant woman for quite a few years now, have been told not to eat sushi when pregnant. So it just further illustrates that he doesn't give a shit. He just wants to control. Well, does he necessarily... I mean, is that common knowledge? Yes. I mean, for non-women? Are you telling me you didn't know? I'm not sure that I I would have known. I mean, that certainly didn't... I'm saying if you're a caring man, you're going to research what your person can and can't take into their body we know that he's not a caring man so it's possible that like my reading of that illustrates that he's a dress okay i did not see it as having anything to do with the pregnancy myself i'm gonna be very honest and frank and i say this with love but you have a dick and not a vagina so you (laughs) know shit well that goes without saying so I'm I, I'm not even going to say I'm sorry. I'm going to say, you know nothing. He's been a manipulative prick. This is what women have to deal with all the time. And, you know, when they're sitting down and having the dinner, you said, oh, he's just trying to make a nice dinner. No, he's trying to have a nice dinner. 
And he is further, you know, gaslighting her, essentially, essentially, because she says, before we can have this child together, because obviously she still gets to decide, not enough time has gone by where she can't not have an abortion. She's not even showing that she's pregnant. Because she's not. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Because what? she's not showing. She's like below three months. Right, that's what I'm saying. Okay. She's entertaining the idea with him. Hey, you know, if you want to have a kid with me, you need to admit what you did. And she is very sweetly like telling him that's not the truth. That's not the truth. Because he's denying it and denying it and saying his brother controlled him. So I just... Anyway, my point is, like, it was not a lovely, meant to be a lovely evening. No, you're misunderstanding me. You're misunderstanding me. I, I am not trying to say that he had genuinely sweet romantic intentions. I think that's how you took what I was saying. So it looks like we're like, you're saying one thing, and I'm hearing one thing, and then I'm saying one thing, and you're hearing one thing. So why don't you explain it to me? What you mean, exactly. Break it down, syllable by syllable, my love. That whole dinner is an act, okay? For who? For both of them? Well, he's, he's, he's the one that is performing the dinner, right? He's gotten, he collected, cooked, whatever it is, the, the food. He's set the table and everything. Like, all of this is, is a very elaborate act on his part. He didn't cook the food. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. The point is that it's it's an act. He's trying to sweet her back. He's trying to, I mean, like the way everything's laid out, it's all supposedly romantic and sweet. And he's acting considerate for the first time that we've ever seen him act considerate to her. And and so what I was trying to say was I read it as him you know, trying basically not knowing which food that she would prefer and having just gotten both like he's acting like some men would when they're trying to create a nice evening of reconciliation for a woman. I'm not saying that it actually is romantic. I'm not like, I feel like you took me as defending him or as being genuine. And I know that's I don't see that as a credible reading at, at all of what's happening. Um, He's not right. Like and we know that because he strongly recalls a word. The first word he said to her when, when he was invisible, he, he says, uh, I know you better than anyone else or something like that. And that shouldn't be a surprise. I'm the only one that can help you. Something like that. I know what you're like. I'm the only one that can help you. Yeah. And that shouldn't be any surprise. And he, he says it in a way that's very much how we recall earlier in the movie when we first heard him speak when he's invisible. So we know that it's all an act. I'm just saying that I didn't take the food as any indication of his thinking about pregnancy. It just further illustrates that he's a dick. Either way, he's a dick. Yes, no matter what, he's a dick. That's very. That's like putting it nicely. I have to say my favorite part in spoiler section is when she throws varnish on him 
you see this shot of her in the attic yeah. and everything's white and creamy and then you see her kind of appear out of the darkness and it's so freaking creepy and then you know you get a different angle and she throws the varnish down and you see it and because these cameras move and f- the, the cameras are making a sound of like freak out because a worrying sound yeah because it's it's gotten stuff on it like anything would and then another favorite part of mine is they continue to fight in the house and so she has to do this wonderful performance of like nothing touching her she being a like Elizabeth she has to Moss. make it all believable which yes. is great and then when it's the escape scene in the secure facility, which is anything but fucking secure. Well, um, I mean, not secure against invisible men. <laughs> right? Mm. So I I love that scene, the getaway. I feel like it's a more realistic scene of like Terminator 2. It, it makes me recall Terminator 2 with Sarah Connor. It does have similarities to that for sure. One, and maybe going back that's to, because that's the only movie that's done that. Like, you know, break out of a secure facility. Maybe. I want to go back to what you said about that fight when she's first left alone. Uh, when, okay, so first of all, Storm Reed assumes that uh, Elizabeth Moss, uh, Sydney Cecilia. assumes that Cecilia hit her which I that didn't land for me very well because first of all they're three feet away. There's a plane flying over. Sorry. Oh, two helicopters. Okay, they're three feet away, and supposedly Sydney loves and trusts Cecilia, and she's immediately going to jump to assuming that Cecilia hit her. Um, that didn't make any emotional sense to me. But at the same time, because- it was nice that the daughter was believed and James didn't understand what exactly had happened, but he knew he had to get her away. After that fact, yes, I understand that. And that that's well played of the I need to make sure my daughter's safe sort of thing. But that moment was a leap from me, which and it suggests, which I don't believe is true, that deep down Sydney didn't feel safe with Cecilia in the first place. None of that feels true to me because every we don't get a hint that that might even be remotely the case. I so, think she's a little on edge. I mean, they sleep in the same bed, and so there's definitely trust there, like you're saying. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, Cecilia's been really on edge and... Sydney wakes up and grabs pepper spray because Cecilia, you know, awoke her with such a fright. Yeah. And there's no one else in the room. It's totally understandable. I don't... It just does not land for me very well. Again, there's so many factors that make the leap to believe in that Cecilia's the responsible one a, le- a jump. But... Going back to after she's left alone, Cecilia's left alone, that fight sequence is tremendous, especially so when you good. take into account apparently very little CGI was used in this movie. A lot of practical effects were used in this film to, to achieve a lot of what we see. I wouldn't be surprised if most of that fight alone is done practically. And it's so believable and so cool. 
And you're right. Elizabeth Moss sells that whole sequence so mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I feel like you could trust her with any project, honestly. Uh, perhaps, absolutely. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we get into comparisons? No, I am very excited for the comparisons. Let's do it, because we're starting to run a little bit long. What are your thoughts on The Invisible Man? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Let us know if you agree or disagree with any of our takes. Uh, But now we're going to do a comparison between Gaslight and Invisible Man. We felt like this was such a great double feature idea. Um, they're both dealing in many ways with the same material, same subject matter against women. And so let's talk about what sort of things these two movies have in common. Shanna, I understand you took copious notes on this subject matter alone. Yeah, turns out I absolutely love comparing. So here's the thing. Gaslight is this quieter movie and Invisible Man is the louder, more active one. And I like that they kind of are different in that way. Mm -hmm. You know, both deal with husband shittery, you know. So Pauline's husband is after something. Pauline is a ways to get that something. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And Cecilia, it's mostly control over her but in the end you know you kind of figure he wants a baby out of her well the 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 thing that they both have in common that was the one thing i noted is money is a factor in gaslight it's about um or or some sort of riches in gaslight it's about him doing all these things to obtain these riches in invisible man it's him doing all these things to prevent her from um, of obtaining riches, right? Because mm. um, conditions and such. Right. He's after Gregory is after jewels in Invisible Man. Cecilia supposedly inherits all of his estate, um, uh, Adrian's estate, and his finances, and she'll get like what a hundred thousand dollars a week or something. A month. A month over the next four years. Yeah. Which right? I'm like, I'm gonna quit fucking everything. Condition on the condition we is we learn later that not only could she not commit a crime, but she also have to be mentally sound. And it his or everything he does is to chip away at that mentality and basically take all of that away from Yeah, so both movies definitely are about driving the person out of their sanity in a systematic way, as Gaslight puts it. Absolutely. So there's definitely violence against women in both of these films. One is more physical, and both of them that we're told... We don't see. I mean, kind of see because of the fight scenes. In anyway. Which, which movie are you talking about? Invisible Man. Oh, yeah. There's definitely yeah. some physical violence. Because they're fighting. And Duh. she also, in the beginning of the movie, recounts how he would beat her. Yeah. She says it in a very strange way. But anyway. It felt very real. Both men are torturing the woman in a mental, emotional way. Psychologically, And, you know, one is constantly physically hurting. Elizabeth Moss, Cecilia, her husband is constantly hurting her physically and emotionally and mentally. Whereas... Pauline's husband killed her aunt and is just systematically tearing 
her apart. Mm-hmm. So both men have ruses when being found out or, or they don't have control of a situation. They become really weak and they either pretend to be weak to lure the woman back or get even more controlling. So in Invisible Man, when it's the dinner scene, he says, I only I only shake my my hand only shakes with you. It's it's like I can only be myself with you. It's like, no, hmm. just shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's like and then with Gregory. Gregory, you know, it's when Pauline comes down and she says, I'm going with or without you, essentially. Ah. He says, oh, well, why didn't you tell me? Do, 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 do. Oh, my watch. My watch is missing. You know, so it's, you know, those two things. An invisible man, Cecilia actually has people she can go to. She actually has somewhat of a support net. Yeah. But in Gaslight, Pauline has no one because she has become so isolated and fearful of leaving the house to avoid upsetting Gregory. So there's definitely, you know, one, one movie, she has a support system, one movie, there's nothing. And even when the support system is there, there's a certain breaking point to the support system. The support system has to reach out to uh, Pauline in Gaslight. That being, yeah, good point. What's his name? Joseph Cotton's character. Yeah. And as opposed to, an invisible man she goes in the night she runs away she goes to a secret location of a friend who is played by aldous hodge he's awesome by the way i love him so much he's He's like such a hero yeah so um that's her support she even cuts off her sister so that way like adrian can't follow her sister to cecilia Right, as a means. Well, she to just say. states boundaries. She just says, "Don't do this because he'll find you and me." Right, right, and uh, very difficult for the sister to not take that personally because they don't contact each other for a two-week period. But anyway, yes, that's a very interesting point about the support systems. Just goes to show how important they are in these situations. It's also very interesting the two houses. If you compare the houses, so we've got. Pauline's house is is like an apartment, really, because the houses are right next to each other, like sharing the same walls, even. What do you call that? Like, it's like not a duplex because there's like eight of them. Right. Yeah. I think I don't know the term for it because I think it's also replicated in New York, too. It's like brownstone or whatever. But there's like there's different levels, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a normal house, but they're all connected. So I think it's interesting that here we are in a different time where all these houses are very close, like on top of each other. You have no nosy neighbors that do come in. There's nothing, you know, naturally isolating you. Like now it's social media will isolate you. Being at home on the internet will isolate you physically. And then... You know, in Invisible Man, their house is by a freaking cliff, you know, out in the Bundus, you know. Are you talking about Adrian's house? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So it's, I'm just saying the homes, the homes are very different. And one has this natural security of people are around. And then the other one has security cameras to try and keep control of things. So it's just interesting. I thought you were going to compare to uh, James's house, which Cecilia spends most of her time in and has a hard time stepping out of. Most of most of the action and stuff takes place, or at least half of it, in James's house. Yeah. You know, the first time she steps out, 
gets to the mailbox. She's trying to get further and further. Uh, a jogger comes by and she's absolutely terrified that it's him. And she's still terrified even when she realizes it's not him. That's like everyday yeah. womanhood. That's so well depicted. I, I found that very interesting. Was there anything like that in Gaslight? I think just the f- there's definitely a fear of going outside mm. for both women for different reasons. Yeah. I believe. In Gaslight, you know, someone on the outside knows something's wrong and tries to help. But in Invisible Man, it's it's only when she herself asks for help and sometimes even gets denied that someone helps. So I think this is kind of a parallel. I think I spoke about this already, where when a woman says, I need help, and she's not necessarily believed. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And then I also noticed that... In Invisible Man, we don't know Cecilia's history, but in Gaslight, we know Pauline's history, which I find interesting. We know that, you know, she's in this house. Her aunt died while she was upstairs, uh, got murdered. Pauline has to rely on someone else to save her. Well, hold on. Uh, Let's go back to that point. Okay. What do you, in what sense do we not know Cecilia's history? We don't know what she was like before the night she ran away. We don't have any visual... Well, well, we don't have any visual, but she very clearly articulates what life was like for her before that night. But also for before Gregor, before Adrian. Before... Um, could have been Gregory, too. Gregory. <laughs> Gregory, yeah. Gregorian. We don't have any Not sense much. of who she was. We don't know if she was a confident woman. We just know that she says she was just a suburban girl. Yeah, I thought she talked a little bit about her career traje- trajectory before Adrian, and um, and that's why her having that job interview at one point was such a big deal because she was going back into trying to get that self fulfillment mm-hmm. in in getting a career started again. But maybe I'm remembering wrong. Yeah, and then moving on, I think this these are the last two points that I found. Pauline has to rely on someone else to save her. She's not physically capable of doing it. And Cecilia, she gets to save herself in the end. Yep. And they both get revenge to some extent. They do. But I would agree with you that Elizabeth Moss's character, Cecilia, is much more wily to and much more aware of her abuser's methods and how to try to get away it definitely yeah. says something about the time there's a huge time difference here yeah. maybe even a little bit of a cultural difference mm. and so that's also interesting to really compare i mean you could really get into that you know during a film study session about the history of violence against women was there a pregnancy or anything having to do with a pregnancy in Gaslight? Any interest no. in kids or anything? I no. don't. I, okay. There was nothing like that. Nothing like that got touched. That was one thing that really impressed me at first about Invisible Man was that it was also touching on getting pregnant by your abuser, and I thought it was going to go in this direction oh, yeah. of of dealing with like the right to choose to even keep that. A baby and stuff and it, it doesn't it seems to be a little shy about going even that that far with it but 
I thought that was... You know, maybe there's clues that we missed. I don't know. We'd have to look at some feminist articles, like by by bust or bitch, and maybe they address it. Maybe that would be interesting to read. Uh, any any other comparisons or, or similarities you noticed? No, I mean, that, that's what I've got. The last thing is, is Surface One, addicts play yes, a role. Yes, the addicts. In both. Uh, more prominently in Gaslight, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally the source of the gaslighting <laughs> in that movie. In Invisible Man... To an extent, it's kind of, it's where everything is being planted or kept that is going to be used later in the movie to screw Cecilia over, right? Yeah. She finds, what does she find? She finds a knife. In a Ziploc bag. Yep. What else does she find there? She finds her portfolio. Right. The stuff that was supposed to be in her portfolio. And she finds his phone, Adrian's phone. And on Adrian's phone, it has photos of her sleeping with the cover off. Yes. And that's what the flashing lights were were in that scene. It was the flash of the cell phone. Why the cell phone wasn't floating around in that scene, I don't know. Because they showed you in the trailer and that's what you get. (laughs) It's like in the trailer, there's that scene where she says someone's sitting on that couch. Yes. And that's not dealt with. Is that not in the movie? It's not dealt with. Oh. I could swear because I was looking, I was waiting for that She scene. watches it and okay. then she throws a sheet on it and there's nothing that's there. Right. It never but it's by herself happens. in the dock it while Sydney's happens. sleeping. Right, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. That, uh, anyway. This is why it's good to watch something twice. <laughs> but, but, an interesting, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but in uh, Invisible Man, she hears something in the attic. Just like in Gaslight. Pauline hears something in the attic. In her case, there was footsteps. In Cecilia's case, it was a phone vibrating. Well, and isn't it interesting that the two of them deal with the attic in very different ways? Mm-hmm. Cecilia goes up and investigates. Right. Pauline can't. Mm-hmm. Can't bring herself to do that. Would you say that makes Pauline a weaker character than Cecilia? No, I think it's because she was systematically brought to that point. Mm. I tried thinking about it and I was like, no, I mean, she's a sweet thing. She's maybe a little fragile, you know? Mm. Be, that's what I think is nice about seeing a bit of her history before Gregory or just, mm-hmm. it's not really before Gregory, it's like the beginning of Gregory. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's one thing that I would have liked from Invisible Man, but we're focused on a particular part of her story, so it's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Anything else you want to say? You're shaking your head. <laughs> I'm shaking my head. No, no. I think <laughs> they I've can't given, see you. I've given everything I can. <laughs> Fantastic. Awesome. Well, what sort of comparisons, similarities did you notice about these two films? Feel free to let us know at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. Shanna. Before- you can find me at Shanna. <laughs> You can find me at Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography on Instagram or at Flickchart. You can find me at Spellbinding A and that's where I am. I mean, I'm at Instagram more than Flickchart. Check out our brand new website, thanks to Fashionably Frank Marketing, at thegibsonreview.com. You'll find all the different features that we have there, as well as all the different episodes of the Movie Lovers on there. Uh, Go to Facebook slash The Gibson Review and 
the Gibson 99 on Instagram. Oh, I forgot. Um, I decided, you know, I do polls on Instagram a lot, and I realized I never acknowledged them here. Um, recently, we just did a poll on the Instagram page of what was your favorite 50s movie. And the movie that uh, was voted as your favorite 50s movie ended up being Singing in the Rain. There's other polls. There's a poll right now that's finishing up for your favorite 2019 movie because I noticed we didn't ever go back in time like we have on this podcast year by year between the 2010s and the 80s. We started with the 70s on there. I think Star Wars was voted as their favorite 70s movie at that time. Anyway, I'll do what I can to try to update here what the winning votes were on those polls but you can participate on those polls again on the gibson 99 at instagram go to flick chart you can find me there also at the gibson 99 next episode let's talk about the next episode next episode we're going to catch up with another 2020 release it came out a couple months ago on vod i believe it might have hit the indie theaters before the pandemic came down i can't quite remember it's called Never, Sometimes, Rarely, Always. It is a teen pregnancy slash abortion movie. So I think that will be an interesting watch. And it's supposed to be one of the best movies of the year. So feel free to hunt that down. We will talk about it in the next episode. Been wanting to for a, the past month or so. And we'll also talk about our favorite 1940s movies in that episode. We've been having a good time boning up for that list the past couple weeks. And uh, so we're looking forward to sharing what our favorites from that decade are. You can find that episode on June 23rd. In the meantime, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye.